G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, on a Tuesday, we like to catch up with Greg Bonder. He's the National Director of Christian Voice Australia, a national think tank and advocacy group for families, liberty and faith. Greg Bonder, a special welcome back to 2020. I'm delighted to be with you, Neil. Greg, you were sitting up on Saturday night and no doubt uh, in your luxury armchair and uh, perhaps a warm cup of cocoa and watching the, uh, I'm just not, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to age you or anything here, uh, but watching the coronation. And uh, you have got some thoughts on the spiritual significance of the coronation because if you were watching the coronation service, you could not miss the fact that it was so Christian. Uh, what were your overall impressions? Yeah, now look, I have to tell you, uh, my wife was glued to the TV more than I, but uh, I, I then went into my uh, study and started to write up some notes because, quite frankly, Neil, you know, if, if you reflect on the, the death of the Queen last year and then now the coronation of King Charles III, they would have to be the greatest uh, viewing ever for a Christian church service. Now, that's got to be something of significance. And, and as you know, God works in mysterious ways. So I was delighted, one, that the coronation reflected that the Bible shaped the coronation very much, Neil. You know, we're all aware that the Queen and her funeral, uh, which was just a huge event, and she had a hand in organising how that would sound, and a very, very Christianised funeral. Uh, you just couldn't get a better and most fabulous funeral than the Queen's funeral. But you've got the coronation, and uh, the King, the new monarch, doesn't have a lot of say, in some sense here, as to what happens on that day, uh, because this is steeped in just a huge Christian tradition around the coronation. And as you say, uh, the Bible shaped the coronation. What were your thoughts on uh, on that? That sort of reflection that this this is great tradition that shaped what we saw on Saturday night. Yeah, Neil, very much so because when I reflected on the coronation, as I said, watching it with my wife, one of the things I've got to appreciate is that Christian thinking has shaped our nation's intellectual life, our institutions, our laws, our culture, art, literature, music. Now, in that regard, one of the things that I noticed on when I was watching it, I saw the Archbishop of Canterbury placing the crown on Charles. But one of the things that concerns me was that at the time, uh, you know, there was a wonderful, wonderful phrase there that was used, and uh, you may reflect on it, I can't remember the exact time, but, you know, King Charles was was, was saying uh, in a number of uh, publications and what have you that he, that he is here to serve, not to be served. Now, Neil, you and I both know that is a biblical quote from Matthew you know, that Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served. So this is interesting. But what worries me, Neil, is that King Charles also, as much as now I've got to declare, Neil, I'm a monarchist, so there's no question about it. But one thing that concerned me was, as I was doing some research, was 
King Charles was saying that his preference is, uh, I don't know if you realise it, but his preference is to be a defender of faith rather than a defender of the faith. Now, that's a little bit concerning for me, given that he's supposed to be a true blue Anglican, Neil. It did seem to me, though, Greg, that as defender of the faith, and uh, there he was installed as uh, defender of the faith for the Church of England, and uh, really they were very explicit, weren't they? Even to the separation of Protestant and Catholic, saying defender of the faith, the Church of England, as a Protestant faith, uh, he was very, very staunchly in that mould. And so defender of faiths, you could interpret that all sorts of different ways, couldn't you? And uh, some might say, doesn't that sound like a watering down? And yet, uh, it was so explicitly Christian, uh, you would have to say that his defender of Christian faith was far above, head and shoulders above, the thoughts of how you might accommodate uh, other faiths. Any thoughts there? Yeah, now this is what worried me, because when he said defender of faith, now, to me, I'm hoping that means various denominations like Presbyterian, Catholic, or, or, or you know, Anglican, or whatever it might be, but I suspect it's got, it's got a bit of wokeness attached to it. So that, that really worries me, because, look, Neil, we have to understand that given the foundations of our, of our um, society, it's impossible in this, in, in, in this 21st century to divorce the present monarchy from the explicitly Judeo-Christian ethos that we were brought up on. So I think that's really critical because, you see, biblically, leaders of nations have a God-ordained role. And in particular, when I was doing my research, if you read 2 Samuel 23.3, it clearly says, now, he that ruleth over man must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now, we've got to make sure, and we've got to uphold this ethos uh, as we you know, support the monarchy in the days and years ahead now. Interesting as you say that, uh, I reflect on the very first commandment. You know, God gave those ten commandments to Moses and the very first commandment, and sometimes we say, how does that apply today? Uh, The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, um, that also brings into question, doesn't it, the accommodation of other gods? Uh, because you've also got that reflection on the sort of diplomacy that King Solomon was into and taking on all those wives yeah. and concubines, and and there was a yep. diplomacy about that, and yet that created a weakness. So if there was a criticism for uh, Saturday night's coronation, which was absolutely a wonderful Christian uh, service, mm-hmm. Uh, if you're picking out a weakness, this is the one you'd identify. Oh, absolutely not. Because see, one of the things is that as a Christian, the Bible is the nation's final authority to me. We've got to vigorously uphold uh, the, the ethos of the Bible. Because you see, one of the problems of God is that the Archbishop of Canterbury has put a lot of criticism lately because he's been, you know, agreed to bless same-sex marriages. Now, that's another issue we come to, but what we've got here is that the idol of diversity has blinded the minds of many people, even the church. So it's a real issue for us here as we go ahead, because the question I want to leave with your listeners is, what would UK look like if King Charles III and his government turned back to Christ? Wouldn't it be a wonderful movement if that occurred? But there are some issues and some threats to... To the, to the monarchy, uh, you know, being a Judeo-Christian uh, foundation. So, well, we've got to keep our eyes open and, uh, you know, make sure that we defend the Bible and the uh, 
the ethos of the you know the monarchy as it's meant to be. Greg, in other conversations, the thought that as Christians we don't have to be afraid because we have a very solid, sound defence of our truth. And so when there are other uh, religions that are recognised, uh, or even you might even say appropriately uh, acknowledged, uh, then we ought not be afraid of that. But is there a sense that while you might think of that little change in the coronation, this time it's diplomacy, next time you're on a slippery slope and things could change next time when uh, when the day comes when William is crowned. Is there the possibility oh. of that, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Look, I think we've got a real threat because, you see, what's, trying, what's happening nearly is that the world, including the monarchy, is trying to become more and more woke. It's trying to become more uh, inclusive. Now, the problem is... Are we serving God or are we serving man? I have a clear view in my mind from a biblical worldview and from a Christian point of view, Neil, that, you know, we are serving God. But what's going to happen is that unfortunately we're going to be influenced by the current secular society and I think the monarchy could be at risk in that regard. So, yes, there's a real threat there now. So you have this wonderful Christianized coronation, and it's not likely to change in any way because the thousand-year history, or however long that has been, it's been a long, long time, uh, that yeah. that service has developed. But if it becomes secularized, then you have this risk that whoever is going to be crowned king actually then is... Uh, crowned king and there's an expectation that they'll lead by popularity rather than by this, you know, uh, you know, serving God. Correct. And that is a, a real issue. And I'm not trying to be, you know, fatalistic. I'm not trying to be, you know, sort of alarmist. But now the issue we've got here is as we as Christians need to uphold the biblical worldview in regard to the fact that, you know, the monarchy is, is based on our Judeo-Christian ethos. That's the way it is. And if Charles starts serving all faith rather than the faith that he's meant to be serving, we're going to have issues into the future now. Hey, uh, by and large, though, uh, let's come back to the Christianized coronation and the thinking that shapes a nation's intellectual life and around our institutions. Uh, if you come back, uh, it might be interesting to identify one small weakness, but the strength of the coronation was really in the affirmation of this Christian thinking that has shaped uh, not only uh, the British Empire, but, uh, but all of the realms around the world. Uh, this is a very powerful thing, isn't it, that is reinforced with something like the coronation? Oh, absolutely. You know, as I was sitting there, I was, I was telling my wife, how wonderful. One, you've got a church. Two, you're, you're, you're showing the people of the world that there are biblical bases for the coronation with, with Bible quotes. The Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, in particular. Uh, look, I think it's just fascinating the way that the world has been exposed to Christianity and in particular Christianity through the monarchy. And I think it's wonderful. Now, let me just sort of reflect quickly. That's not to say that King Charles III doesn't serve all faith. What he does is he serves the Christian faith in recognition there are other faiths as well, but he has a duty to be a, a Christian or an Anglican in the sense that that's the, that should be his first priority now. And uh, we might just give some uh, kudos to the Church of England because my suspicion is that's what they have in mind. 
but the public mm. perception may be that uh, you know you've got the the king uh, who has demonstrated this little bit of uh, you know in some sense some people might say a wokeness about uh, the embracing of uh, all sorts of other faiths uh, that somehow or other that diminishes his Christian responsibility. Uh, when he went through that ceremony, you know, the anointing with the oil and, yep. uh, you know, behind the screens, uh, getting all of those uh, kingly robes yep. off and uh, really in a place of humility before God. Some reflect mm-hmm. on the Queen when she went through that at her coronation. Mm-hmm. She really took those oaths and that anointing to heart and it changed mm-hmm. her whole aspect of how she was reigning as monarch. Do you think that might happen with Charles? Look, I, I think possibly not to the same extent as the Queen. I think he's, he's going to have a different approach to it. He's a little bit woke. He's, I think he's sort of captured by the, the green woke ideology, so we're, we've got some issues there. But look, Mel, from a global perspective, if one lost soul comes to Christ through this coronation, then I say hallelujah, Neil. <laughs> and the thought that there we had uh, the Christian church putting on the head of the king a crown. Any thoughts here about the place of the Christian church here in the installation of heads of state? Uh, that's a pretty significant thing, isn't it? Oh, it is. You know me, I'm a sort of, I've got a whole volume of literature on church and state. The issue here is that we have to recognize that the church is fundamentally part of, in particular, the monarchy. And in this regard, what we've got here is a, uh, an institution or a situation where the, the church has said, you are the king, you are the head of state, and that's um, for the Republicans, I think they need to note that. He's the head of state now, we need to respect that. And he needs to govern accordingly. But there is a there is a divorce between church and state from a political point of view, but certainly not from a Judeo-Christian ethos point of view. Now, uh, wonderful illustration, isn't it, of how church and state works in beautiful unison, uh, where the king is crowned by the church, and then the yeah. church gives allegiance to the king. Uh, just a beautiful yeah. illustration there, and uh, something that we can learn perhaps a whole lot more from uh, here in Australia when it comes to our uh, our leaders. Hey, there's Absolutely. another issue I mentioned that we'd talk about. Um, what is a Christian worldview? And sometimes we hear that terminology, and sometimes we don't always understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been thinking through these things. Just uh, only uh, two or three minutes remaining, but uh, what are your thoughts around having a Christian worldview, Greg? Yeah, Neil, yeah, this is a, a real big issue because, you see, you do hear that phrase all the time. And I just said, read the research, Neil, which really frightens me because it, in the U.S., the recent survey says that two-thirds of people in the USA do not ne- believe that they do not need faith in God to be moral. Well, then what gets me is then where do they get their morals, their resource, their, you know, from in terms of life, whether it's at home, at work, socially. If you've got, you know, two or three billion people in the world, they all have different morals. For us as Christians, we take a Christian worldview, which is simply uh, our conception of the world from a Christian standpoint. It's biblically based, and and in that regard, we have to make sure that we apply that in all aspects of our life. And I do think that the Bible is the foundation for our morals, for our ethos, 
anybody who argues against it, then we're going to end up with two billion different types of morals for a, a particular cause of action. So, Neil, let's go out into the workplace. Let's go out into our families. Let's go socially and make sure that we do have a Christian worldview. Uh, so our Christian worldview, uh, really, it starts with having a transcendent God and those things that are in him that reflect his character that will never change. They haven't changed in the past. They are not changing in the present. They won't change into the future. And that affects all of the way we think about uh, what is true and what is right and what is moral and what uh, gives us human dignity. Amen, Neil. And that's the, and that's the point I want to make that, you know, now, one of the things I just want to quickly make is don't forget that the Bible never distinguishes between a religious and a secular life. The Christian life is the only life there is, and that's what we all Christians need to understand and practice in real life, Neil. Uh, wonderful insights once again, and running out of time now, just to point people to some of the issues that you're dealing with, Greg Bondar, and uh, you've become a popular commentator on this program now over a number of years and uh, for listeners to follow along with what's happening with the campaigns of Christian Voice Australia, there is a website, christianvoiceaustralia.blog. christianvoiceaustralia.blog. Greg Bondar is National Director and uh, a think tank advocacy group uh, for Families, Liberty and Faith. Greg, thank you so much for your insights once again today on 2020. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.